Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here on Nameless Thursday. Uh, Tamara and I were talking about this before the show, even just as it started today. The fact that um, we have Movie Monday, we have Super Tuesday, we have Everyone Wednesday, and Good News Friday. We don't have a name for Thursday. If you have a suggestion for what we should... I mean, Thursday is just kind of a, a free-for-all. It's It's... NCR Thursday, I guess, for National Crawford Roundtable. If you have a suggestion for what we should call our Thursday program, feel free. Uh, you know, the best place to make that uh, ex- expression known is in our chat feature. If you have the KBright app downloaded, go ahead and download away. And then you can contact everyone. Tamara's in on this. If you those of you remember my longtime producer, Tamara Comito, in her 10th year of producing the show, um, is now... She's not on the phone duty anymore like she used to be, but she's still very, very involved in the, in the production of the program each and every day. And uh, Tamara has the um, uh, opportunity also to chat with you on the chat room, as do Crystal and Teresa. And uh, Joel isn't very chatty, so uh, but the others do get involved. If there's a comment you want to make about something you hear on the program, if you have an idea for, I mean, NCR Thursday is going to be what it's going to be until we hear a better name. Uh, there's nothing special about giveaways or things like that. Just you thought Thursday's kind of sitting here hanging out, doesn't really have his own, you know, uh, name, his own theme. So I uh, thought we maybe we'd come up with a name for that. But it is Thursday, the 22nd of, um, of February. And uh, it's an interesting day because we're going to get into something. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about how marriages in the Bible help us do a better job of having healthy, God-honoring marriages here in the culture. We're going to talk about uh, good news in regard to uh, uh, health and some things that uh, I'll share kind of an update on my own personal health journey as we are uh, coming up on the sixth anniversary of my open heart surgery. Um, But first, though, I want to start with something that really does strike at the heart and the core of who we are as Christians, and that is, as we've noticed, you know, it's nice doing a local radio program. It's kind of crazy doing it in not mass syndication like if i you know if i was just like hey this is a national program we're on 250 markets that's not where we are but we're more than just the station that you hear us on um we just recently are getting ready to add i I think they've been doing some test runs at uh, wyde in birmingham alabama and if you have any friends who listen in that area or if you want to pick up the app it it looks like we're trying a cool little experiment where you know people have wondered you know, for years. We've got Bob Duco in Detroit. Bob Duco show WMUZ. Afternoons, noon to four. He's done that for 25 years. Bob is legendary in De- in the Detroit and in the Toronto and parts of the country. You might hear Defending the Truth on one of our Bottom Line Show affiliates. And it's always great to hear Bob, uh, you know, sharing, defending the biblical truth. He, he's a great apologist. He can uh, handles apologetics better than just about any radio host I know of. Um, Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live has a very, very unique program. NBL, as we call it, is on from 2 to 6, Monday through Friday afternoon. That's Eastern Time in Buffalo, New York, on our great sister station, WDCX. And they do Christian teaching and talk, etc. But they do a couple hours every day of Neil just doing call-in, talk, interview, stuff like that. And then the last two hours are praise and worship music. And Neil comes in and is Pastor Neil. It's, It's one of the most unique hybrid Christian radio programs that I've ever heard, and I really enjoy it. And then, of course, John Rush, uh, Rush to Reason, on our mainstream, uh, secular, uh, but conservative-based talk station. John's a very strong Christian, but Rush to Reason airs every weekday afternoon, 3 to 7 p.m. on KLZ AM 560, 50,000-watt flame-throwing, not John, but I mean the the signal. That's radio lingo for if you have a, uh, a signal that goes a long way. Uh, John's program, Rush to Reason, covers the whole state of Colorado. And then yours truly here at the Bottom Line Show, and we're on K-Bright Radio here in Southern California. It's 50,000 watts. Uh, KCBC, 50,000 watts. I mean, we're on KLTT in Denver, also 50,000. We cover a lot of ground. So the powers that be at Crawford Broadcasting got together and said, well, wouldn't it be great if we kind of created a format that was a conservative and Christian talk format that features all four of our guys, and we bring in someone like Jana Partial, and boom, the experiment begins uh, officially on Friday, March 1st at WYDE in Birmingham, Alabama. And so if you know anybody there, or if you want to maybe make that one of the bookmarks on the podcasts that you listen to, you're going to get Bob Duco in the morning for four hours every day. You got Neil Boron, uh, an hour of Neil Boron live every midday 
Um, the nighttime shift is John Rush from 8 to 10, and then yours truly from 10 to midnight. And uh, it's going to be a ton of fun uh, to have all of us together in one place. If you've ever wondered, you know, that, that might wind up becoming something where as Crawford's is expanding and looking for new opportunities, maybe that's a new format. I mean, you never can tell. So I'm, I'm super excited about it, and I encourage you to check it out. And I'm saying all this, too, because um, what's happening right now is the folks in Birmingham are recording all of our programs, and they're putting together this uh, kind of compilation uh, where they're experimenting and rolling it out. So uh, for those who are hearing the recorded, delayed version of the Bottom Line Show today on WYDE in Birmingham, everybody here in Southern California, Northern California, San Diego, Colorado, Wyoming, everybody says hi. And uh, we're grateful to have you along. Now, Thursdays, as I mentioned at the start of the program, uh, Thursdays are, are NCR Thursdays because we don't have any special giveaways going on. But today we're taking a look at kicking things off here with a prayer concern. And the reason I bring up the expansion of the local radio feel on different markets is the one thing that has definitely happened in the culture is as the United States has become morally bankrupt, as we have moved away, the vast majority of Americans no longer use the Bible as the, but they don't believe it's the inerrant word of God, but they also don't believe it's a standard for living. And that's, I mean, that, that's not me saying, oh, whoa, it was me, boo-hoo. That's a reality. George Barna's data, Pew Research, I mean, the, 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 all the polling places that are doing empirical research are confirming this. So this means that we as Christians now have to look at the United States as a mission field, and now we're all missionaries. I mean, that's kind of always the way it's been. But, you know, let's, let's face it. If you grew up in the church, you knew there were a couple of couples who went to Tanzania or whatever, and they'd come back once a year, and they'd show you pictures and maybe wear some, you know, uh, of the local native attire, and then they'd ask you for money. And, of course, the church would support them a couple hundred dollars a month or whatever it was. Well, now we begin to realize that one of the greatest mission fields we have is right here in the United States because so many people have become so secularized. And so we are very much aware of what it's like for Christians in other countries where they, we are the minority. We see that, uh, very interestingly enough, prophetically, uh, Leela Gilbert and I think Nina Shea helped on this one too. In the book Saturday People, Sunday People, uh, Leela talked about the fact that Jews had been persecuted in the Middle East for such a long time, they being the Saturday people, people who worship on Saturday, that once they you know, eliminated or drove out all the Saturday people from uh, where they were. Uh, they are also taking uh, steps to eliminate the Sunday people. And those Sunday people would be the Christians. And it's true. Now, Christians are the most persecuted people group um, in countries where they are not the religious majority. So in majority Muslim countries, uh, they're being uh, tortured and, and, and killed. And we think of the Middle East often, but we forget about Africa. And that continent is so heavily influenced by Muslim influences that the radicalized Fulani herdsmen, uh, the Boko Haram, and other notable uh, organizations have been really wreaking havoc. And our good friend Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial um, has taken 30 trips down to Africa over the past decade. Uh, primarily on Western African coast, Ivory Coast, uh, Niger, and places like that. And we, as the body of Christ here and the Bottom Line Show, have uh, rallied around the efforts that Dennis and his team have put together. Uh, there was one season right after the uh, the bombings at the Vatican in Paris 2015, uh, where ironically Dennis and his granddaughter, I think Jessica, were on their way back from Niger and were at, uh, they were at the airport in Paris before they headed off to Heathrow before they came back to the U.S. Uh, they just got out of there, which was just kind of something of a miracle. But remembering that and understanding that once the uh, the president of Niger marched in that solidarity with uh, the prime minister of France and Germany and other places as well, that the Fulani herdsmen, I believe it were, were, were responsible for torching 92 different churches in Niger. And we rallied together to stand with the body of Christ there to provide financial support, of course, and prayer. But the big issue then was how were they going to rebuild the churches? And the best way to basically show the evil did not triumph was to get Christians all over the country uh, to come together and rebuild the churches, and they did. And it's really incredible, truly remarkable to see the way Christians have come together. The reason I bring all this up is there's a, uh, an organization called the International Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law, 
and uh, it's an organization that's headed by a Christian criminologist by the name of Emeka Umeagabalasi, has been very critical of the Nigerian government, especially in light of the fact that there have been so many uh, abductions and killings of Christians in recent years. And re they recently just, they, they, the way they're tracking this is they track from January to January. So their most recent report, January 2023 to January 2024, indicates that the death toll was 8,222 Christians who were murdered simply for their Christian faith. And it's interesting because one of the, uh, uh, the this, this organization, Inner Society, um, one of their claims is the fact that the Fulani herdsmen, the Fulani jihadists, actually have military protection to invade uh, farmlands and the bush area and the forest and things of that nature. And so, uh, in all honesty, he realized that the, um, well, for example, there were 500 attacks on churches alone in 2023 and a death toll of 8,222. Uh, 8, there were 70 pastors who were abducted. At least 25 of those pastors were killed. Over 300 communities that are communities of faith, of Christians living there and they're the majority, um, have been sacked in the past year. Uh, it's, it's brutal what these people are going through and they certainly need our prayers. So I thought before we get into uh, the bulk of today's uh, conversation today here on the bottom line, let's go before the throne and ask God for his blessing, ask God for his provision and his protection for our brothers and sisters who are in harm's way in, uh, in Nigeria. Father, thank you for being a God who hears prayer. We are so grateful to be able to bring our cries to you. Uh, we know sometimes the words don't always come out right, but you hear the groans. The Holy Spirit picks up on those from our souls and they are placed at your feet. Please hear our prayer for mercy, for grace, for protection for our brothers and sisters in places like Nigeria. Right now we're focusing our prayers there. Um, but we know there are Christians all over the world who are literally facing loss of livelihood. They're facing imprisonment, impoverishment, um, simply because of their faith. We know your word tells us that this would happen. But as we're walking down this road right now, there but for the grace of you, we go but we stand with them in solidarity and unity in prayer. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's take a quick break and when we come back, um, we're gonna take a look at something that's a biblical approach to a cultural problem. The cultural problem is how do you have a marriage that is God-honoring and healthy and beneficial for everybody, not only the couple, but their family and society? Where do you look for that advice? Well. Dr. Gary Lovejoy says the best place to look is God's word. And we're gonna take a look at a brand new book of his called Marriages in the Bible, What Do They Tell Us? That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Bottom line show listeners have been so supportive of Preborn and I appreciate you. And I know that Preborn does as well. Preborn is the pregnancy resource center that offers women uh, options and offers women the truth when it comes to an unexpected or unplanned pregnancy. Now, if you were expecting pregnancy and you want to get a free ultrasound, you can go to our preborn clinic as well. It's very easy to do. And every time we donate $28 to the cause, that provides one free ultrasound appointment for someone who may or may not have the means to handle this. Now, Terry in Cathedral City recently called in a $1,000 donation. Thank you so much, Terry, for, uh, for giving us that call, especially out of the Coachella Valley. Also, Dennis in Los Angeles called in a $28 donation. Thank you, Dennis, for that $28. And also, I want to say thanks to Diane in San Diego, a $500 donation. Every $28 you provide means one more ultrasound visit for a woman who may be deciding between whether or not to keep the pregnancy or to keep the child. We are pro-child. 85% of the women who go to preborn and see the ultrasound choose life for their preborn child. And you can give a tax-deductible donation online today to support that cause. Go to kbrightradio.com and look for the preborn banner. Click the banner and make your best donation today. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that will be very beneficial to you, especially if you are married. 
but it's we're going to take a slightly different approach to looking at marriage. We're going to look at what marriage looks like in Scripture. And joining us for this conversation is Dr. Gary Lovejoy, a counselor for over 40 years, including extensive marriage counseling, has also taught psychology, Old Testament, New Testament, and world religions on the collegiate level, uh, has also been a part of the faculty at Western Theological Seminary as well. His brand new book has a very simple straight to the heart title, and that is Marriages in the Bible, What Do They Tell Us? We've got a link for this brand new book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Gary Lovejoy, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for inviting me on, Roger. Well, it's good to have you here because I know this is a lot of times when we hear talk about marriage, we'll have someone who's a, a marriage and family therapist or whatever, and they've got some really practical solutions that may have some tinges of scripture attached to them, but they seem to be, we, we still recognize them as biblical principles. You, in this new book, are literally going to Scripture and saying, okay, let's look at the marriages there. Let's take a look at, you know, what we can learn from them. What, what was the genesis of this idea for you to kind of bring it a little more biblically focused in the terms of, you know, let's look at the actual married couples in the yeah. Bible rather than those principles? Well, in my counseling, which spans over 40 years, I've seen an awful lot of couples. And, uh, and of course, uh, part of my uh, my training and responsibility is to keep up, up to date with uh, regard to uh, marriage books and marriage uh, counseling uh, kinds of uh, uh, literature. And one of the things I noticed as I read was that, uh, especially in Christian literature, is that uh, they might, as you pointed out, uh, might uh, mention principles that uh, from which they would use passages to buttress their point of view. And they were very good and helpful in many ways. But one of the things I noticed is they never actually talked about the real marriages in the Bible itself. Right. So I went back through and uh, looked at all the marriages. In fact, if I included all the marriages, the book would have been 500 pages, but <laughs> I 17 marriages. And, uh, and these marriages, um, uh, as I began to study them, going through them, I began to realize that uh, God had a very definite purpose in describing these marriages. In some cases, uh, most of the marriages had some connection with the redemptive history, but um, uh, but he, God actually expands the, the description of these marriages, and uh, and I had to ask myself the question: Why did you do that? I mean, he's mm. purposeful. God, he's not random. He, he does everything he does has purpose, and right. and so uh, I began to realize that he was pointing out things that work and things that don't work. That he was. He described marriages that are good, marriages that are bad, and some are downright ugly. Mm. Uh, yet, um, and yet in each case, he points out certain things that either work or don't work in a marriage. Mm. And, what, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You look at all the different uh, uh, marriages or pieces of the puzzle, and you put them all together at the end, and you have a remarkable uh, blueprint for a happy and successful marriage. Of the tools that you need to understand what makes marriage work well and uh, and lead to uh, enduring happiness and lasting union. So um, uh, I came to appreciate scripture even more, particularly in marriage. I never really looked at the marriage themselves in that kind of detail before, but they do reveal tremendous uh, principles. Yeah, well, there, there certainly are. And the book Marriages in the Bible by Dr. Gary Lovejoy is a definitely must read. I've got it highly recommended here at thebottomlineshow.com, especially when you look at the couples that we're looking at and you're going to say, okay, well, wait, I, I read about them. I mean, I, I know I know enough about Abraham and Sarah and and uh, uh, Jacob and Leah and Hosea and Gomer. I mean, those, those are, they're not going to be unfamiliar names to us, but I love the way you kind of dissect and say, okay, well, let's look at Isaac and Rebecca, for example. What kind of marriage did they have? You, you've got a whole section where you talk about what you call patriarchal mar marriages. Uh, what mm -hmm. what was the recurring theme here that you saw that we can benefit from or maybe you know learn from uh, in that sense? Well, one of the things, and a lot of times people chalk this up entirely to the, to the culture of the day, uh, but uh, when Abraham, uh, for example, uh, shoved his wife out there and said, uh, take her, she's my sister, and uh, to protect himself, uh, and he did that not once, but twice. Once right. with Sarah, and the other the second time with King Abimelech. And um, and he failed to protect his wife. And and you can only imagine. It's interesting. Scripture is silent about what she was feeling, but she must have felt incredibly insecure because she right. could at any time be pawned off as his sister, and uh, and therefore forced to commit really adultery. Um, and uh, and this was also seen later on. 
and, and, and we get a picture of what she was feeling later on when uh, uh, Hagar was uh, constantly uh, plaguing her with uh, and, and telling her that she uh, was not the favored woman and that uh, God did not favor her, but rather favored Hagar. And she was uh, under harassment for a, a long time. And even after Ishmael had been born, uh, she was continuing. And in fact, he joined in on that uh, harassment. And so finally, you read one of the most angry exchanges in all the Bible between Sarah and Abraham when she exploded and says, "Do basically saying, do something. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I've been harassed for too, once too long. And you can see by the explosion of her emotions there that she'd been holding on to a lot of uh, resentment for some of the lack of uh, protection. And we say, well, that's a cultural thing. That's what they did. And of course, his son, uh, uh, his son uh, Isaac did the same thing uh, with his wife Rebecca, and uh, and then there was favoritism as well uh, in their children with their children, and so there are all these problems. Well, protection is also a very important principle to date marriages, and that's mm -hmm. what makes these marriages so contemporary. Uh, the things that happened two thousand years ago or four thousand years ago uh, are just as relevant today because they're relationships and. Um, and in terms of protection, many times I've run across uh, couples where the wife or the husband, either one, but uh, feels very unprotected by the spouse. For example, right. uh, you know, my, they may have uh, angry relatives that uh, put down the wife, or maybe the family is, has too much attachment to, let's say, the husband and wants to draw him away constantly, and he tends to side with his parents rather than with his wife. Right, and that is a relationship killer. I've seen people getting divorces over that very issue, and so these issues are very relevant. And one of the, and if you go down through all the patriarchal marriages or the uh, all the many of the other marriages in the Bible, the same thing can be said that these are issues that come up that uh, were destabilizing then, they're destabilizing now. Mm. Dr. Gary Lovejoy with some great insight about the marriages in the Bible today here on The Bottom Line Show. We're talking about his book with that same title, What Do They Tell Us, is the subtitle. And if you are curious about uh, getting some, uh, maybe maybe a little booster shot for your marriage, I mean, you can learn about these different types of marriages that Dr. Lovejoy has identified when you go to thebottomlineshow.com. You do have a section in here that I... I I'm always intrigued with these types of uh, pairings, especially when I think of like you, you, the section you call heartless marriages. When you think about David and Michael and you realize, okay, wait a minute, there was nothing about, and I'm hoping I didn't mispronounce her name, but the, the, the idea that there's really nothing in that marriage where you look at it and say, why would either one of them want to be in it? And yet here they are. And uh, you call these one of the heartless marriages that we see in scripture. Why do you think God would include those as part of the story? Partly because... He's giving a picture of what true neglect looks like in relationships, hmm. how devastating it is. One, it's an interesting thing that uh, that over the years, the most one of the most common complaints women make about their marriages is they feel neglected, either emotionally or physically, mm -hmm. uh, or, and, and both oftentimes. And they feel incredibly alone. You know, people get married, they say, well, get married, well, you, you won't be alone. Actually, I found the greatest cases of loneliness that occur in marriages because they mm. because they feel so neglected, and uh, and in the and in the case of David and Michael that you mentioned, the sad thing was that Mike, uh, Michael deeply loved David, mm. and uh, when they first met uh, early on, before uh, before Saul started chasing him, uh, <laughs> that uh, Michael was deeply in love with him and. And, and for his part, he seemed to be quite attracted to her, but, uh, but not to the same extent she was. There was an imbalance, which should tell us something. And, uh, and when he left, because Saul began to chase him, so he leaves, he never calls for her. He, she keeps waiting for him to call, mm. uh, to join him. And she never, he never hears the call and never gets the call until finally, later on, when he's... Uh, uh, when he's uniting the kingdom and he wants uh, he wants everything under his control, then Michael, who used to be, who was his wife and had now been uh, withdrawn by Saul and she had now uh, hooked up with another man, he uh, forced uh, her to leave him and to come back to him, hmm. and uh, and the relationship was never the same before as it was before. Right. And when they had that and that 
sad story in Tamil where where they have this argument where they're bringing the ark into the uh, covenant into the into Jerusalem and he's dancing and she's disapproving because she's from a she was from Saul family that was that was the former royal family so she felt there should be some decorum for the king and she yeah. but she approached it all the wrong ways I mean that's a beautiful description of what happens when arguments go off kilter and mm. personal attacks instead mm-hmm. of talking about the problem and that's exactly what happened and it ended in, in a living divorce between the two of them well this is a great conversation especially regardless of what uh, condition you find your marriage in dr gary lovejoy is my guest the book is called marriages in the bible what do they tell us we got a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com and we're giving away a copy of the book i'll tell you how on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues Welcome back to this NCR Thursday, National Crawford Roundtable Thursday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're at the midpoint of my conversation with Dr. Gary Lovejoy. He's the author of a brand new book called Marriages in the Bible. What do they tell us? And we do have a copy of this book that we're giving away today here on the program. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you want to hear more about... Um, patriarchal marriages and how they can benefit, uh, the heartless marriage, what can we learn from a situation like that, a problem-centered marriage or a tender marriage or a maturing, even a righteous marriage. You'll find all this information and more in Dr. Gary Lovejoy's brand new book called Marriages in the Bible. What do they tell us? We're giving away a copy right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. For more than 50 years, Dennis Wilson has been offering better alternatives to what the market offers when it comes to investments like certificates of deposit and real estate investment trust. Dennis's 3D account pays even better than market interest rate. Here's Dennis to explain. So what is a 3D account and how does it work? A 3D account is a real estate-backed investment without Wall Street risk. It pays an amazing interest of 7% for the next three years. At the end of three years, you can take your money out. So you can see it's definitely not a REIT or you can reinvest it at 7% in a new program. Go ahead and call today and ask about the 7% account. And then while you're on the phone and ask about our accounts that are even higher amounts for funds over 250,000. Learn more about Dennis Wilson's 3D Money account, the better alternative to the Real Estate Investment Trust. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, simply better alternatives. Incredible and great insights, again, uh, that can benefit your marriage for sure. Uh, Dr. Gary Lovejoy, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Marriages in the Bible. What do they tell us? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Dr. Lovejoy, there is a section, of course, not all the marriages that you're spotlighting have their problems. I mean, there are some kind of, there are some kind of crazy ones. I mean, there's, there's no question. In, but you do highlight three of the more tender marriages. And I think it's ironic that Jacob winds up on two different lists because, well, he had two different wives. Talk, Help us understand why the Jacob and Rachel story is so really important to us, but also the Jacob and Leah story can also tell us a lot about what God has intended for marriage. Right. I, I think here you see the issue, and this is so important when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling. Um, this is where you see the difference between truly loving someone and not. Uh, it was not Jacob's fault that uh, that he obtained Leah's wife. That was the that was the deception of her father Laban, and uh, because he knew that. Leah would be harder to uh, marry off. And so mm-hmm. he decided to use this as leverage. And so he tricks uh, Jacob. And um, uh, and so consequently, uh, their marriage was never built on love. Right. Leah knew that. And she didn't blame him because she knew that he never loved her. But he was always in love with Rachel. It was Rachel that he really wanted. And when he finally got her, obviously his affection went to her. Now, the interesting thing is, that uh, Leah started having babies right away. Right. So couldn't, she was barren. So here we have a case where she's having babies, but no love. And Rachel had no babies, but all the love. And, uh, but between the two, uh, Leah yearned that maybe through being able to bear children, that she could earn his somehow his love. She was desperate mm. for love. Mm-hmm. She never got to experience a loving relationship in her entire life. 
The one thing that God did, though, to for her that uh, gave her comfort was that she gave birth to Judah, and mm. Judah became uh, the uh, leader of the of the uh, uh, twelve sons, and uh, and he emerged from a series of actions which we don't have time to talk about now. But he became, and it was through the tribe of Judah that the Messiah came, and so. So she was rewarded in that way, but uh, but she lived a very lonely and unhappy life because mm -hmm. uh, she never had the love of a husband, and she would have chosen somebody different, obviously, if she had had the choice. Right. Uh, you, Jacob and Rachel is a very beautiful story because he just loved her, and all and the two children he had with her were always uh, he favored them over all the others, which of right. course turned out to be pr problematic, as you know, <laughs> yes. uh, especially for Joseph. But um, uh, but it was partly born of his deep and abiding love for her, and he couldn't disguise it. And uh, and so, but it, what it says to marriages today is: make sure when you're in courtship that you're not just—it's uh, not just infatuation that's driving your relationship. Right, right. That it's deep and abiding love and connection and commitment. Yeah. I, that's great advice from Dr. Gary Lovejoy today here on The Bottom Line. And if you are in the wedding season, uh, maybe for yourself or for one of your kids, uh, this book, Marriages in the Bible, is a huge help. It's What Do They Tell Us is the subtitle. You can learn so much about tender marriages, righteous marriages, maturing marriages, the ones that are based on problems. I mean, there's all sorts of ground that Dr. Lovejoy covers in the book. And of course, with a 20-minute conversation, we can't get too deep into all of it. But to suffice it to say, it's well worth the, your time and investment. And we've got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, one of the things that you talk about in the book is something that I, I, I found it very interesting because I hadn't really thought about this relationship that way. But when you talk about maturing marriages and you and you think of marriages that started out one direction, something that's, you know, we we can all, you, you mentioned that whole infatuation part, or maybe even, you know, it's more lust driven and not so much out of love, but then over time, you know, God allows them to grow and whatever you use. David Bathsheba is one of those examples too. Talk about what we can learn from them because oftentimes I know I'm guilty as charged and I'm sure a lot of other people are too. Whenever I hear David and Bathsheba together, I don't think of anything good. You know, I mean, I think of how they came together and I don't think of their marriage as having any real major lasting value, but you, you've proven me wrong with what, what, with what you've written about in the book. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that, uh, and, and this baffles a lot of readers of scripture, is why was David called a man after God's own, own heart after he did what he did, which is egregious. He didn't yeah. just have an affair, an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed, essentially. Right, right. And, uh, and he was going to hide the whole thing until Nathan uh, confronted him. And uh, but the difference was that once confronted, once he had to face his sin, he didn't deny it any longer. He immediately broke down mm -hmm. and repented. And when there's an affair like that, there are three things that are really important. You have remorse, you have uh, uh, you have repentance, and you have contrition. Mm -hmm. And uh, remorse is feeling bad for what you've done. Um, and repentance is changing your behavior, making uh, making all, all amends. For what you've done. The third, though, is the most important, probably, and the one that's the most difficult and the least observed, and that is contrition. And contrition is a willingness to accept the consequences of your behavior. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Nathan said, as a result of David's uh, uh, adultery, that uh, that not only would the son that he had by her initially uh, would die, but three of his sons. That the, the death would hang over his uh, hang over his uh, uh, entire reign, and mm. his three of his sons died violently, wow. and uh, and he suffered tremendously because of that. And these consequences. And at one point, after the death of Absalom, he said uh, he he was inconsolable over his death, right. and um, uh, and and he said that um, and he and he was inconsolable because he realized it was out of the guilt. That he had done, uh, he had done pretty much what uh, uh, what had uh, Absalom had done to uh, uh, to usurp the throne, and uh, and much of the uh, uh, the moral uh, decay that had occurred was partly because he had been guilty of it as a young man, and so he was not only remorseful and uh, over the death of his son, but he's also filled with guilt. 
guilty of what he had done and what it brought us all about. And and then he probably remembered uh, Nathan's prophecy that death would hang like Damocles' sword over his uh, over his right. reign. Right. And uh, so uh, what what he learned was that uh, and so from that point on he learned that that he needed to funnel his commitment to marriage. And so he built a, a marriage with Bathsheba in which he deeply loved her. And, uh, and it was Solomon, her son, uh, whom he uh, elevated to the throne at, at the, uh, his deathbed. And um, why? Because he knew that, that God would bless that which came out of his relationship with Bathsheba because he had built a, a revived relationship between them so that guilt was no longer the generator of yeah. their connection, but rather a deep and a firm commitment, which was before God himself. And so he made amends. And so it's not surprising when you look at the full scope of his life, both from the affair to the to the end of his life, you begin to realize why God actually said, he's a man after my own heart. Was he perfect? Mm -hmm. No. But he, he knew when to uh, uh, to be contrite in his spirit, to willing to accept the consequences. He knew that those were the consequences of his behavior. He mentions it at some point in scripture. Uh, that uh, the troubles he was going through was the result of his uh, his uh, disobedience to God, mm -hmm. and so he had learned from this experience and became a, not only a good uh, uh, a good husband, but a, uh, but uh, uh, but a troubled father. Mm -hmm. I, I I love that the, the 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 description of who David became and the reason for God saying this is a man of my own heart simply because of the fact that he understood the gravity of what he'd done he didn't uh, try to run from it and and too often do we see this whether it's in marriage or in other relationships where people will keep trying to find a way to wiggle out of something or not quite face up to it. And, and David owned it uh, in the same way that uh, Jesus bore our sin. Ultimately, David had to bear his own as well. And uh, I, I, it took me years to read the story of David and the death of Absalom and, and ask, you know, why, why is he crying? This guy was trying to over, overthrow him and, and usurp his power and authority. And yet he, his heart so broken, yet you could tell he still had the words of Nathan Fresh in his mind, you know, when, God, when that was. God introduced an interesting twist in that because when at, uh, at, uh, when Absalom rebelled against his father, who went with him? Ahithophel. And Ahithophel mm -hmm. was, uh, was related to Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. uh, and the man that he, uh, David murdered, had murdered, uh, was his son in law. Wow. So he had reason to be mm -hmm. angry and why he sided with the rebellion. Yeah. Rather than with uh, rather than with David. Wow, incredible, incredible stories that we can learn from these marriages in the Bible. And Dr. Gary Lovejoy has put together a fantastic resource to help us understand that. Again, the book is called Marriages in the Bible. What do they tell us? We've got a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com. Dr. Gary Lovejoy, thank you for this book. Thank you for the conversation today. Thanks for being with us here on the Bottom Line Show. Well, thank you so much, Roger. I enjoyed being here and and uh and your questions were excellent. Thank you so much. Well, this is a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate Dr. Gary Lovejoy writing the book and taking the time to spend time with us. By the way, uh, as you could tell from the audio uh, in this conversation, Dr. Lovejoy was on his computer, and he's also at My Hope Now. So if you want to watch my conversation with Dr. Gary Lovejoy, see the both of us on screen, I encourage you to go to myhopenow.com, and you'll find all that information. We are giving away a copy of his book today, Marriages in the Bible, What Do They Tell Us? And there's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy up for grabs for this uh, great book by uh, Dr. Gary Lovejoy uh, titled Marriages in the Bible, What Do They Tell Us? 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, a little personal health update from yours truly. It's good news. It certainly is. Um, but also a reminder, and this is kind of my little public service, a gift from me to you, about why it is important to take good care of the body that God has given us to be the temple of his Holy Spirit while we're here on earth. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Dr. Gary Lovejoy for joining us today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called uh, Marriages in the Bible, What Do They Tell Us? And there's a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, one of the things I realized that that makes Dr. Gary Lovejoy's book so impactful, I think, is the fact that he takes us to Scripture, shows us a number of different types of marriages, and then doesn't say, okay, pick one. You know, if you do this, that will be the easy answer. There's a lot of hard work that goes into marriage. And American culture has glamorized it and trivialized it simultaneously to the point where now a lot of people think you're supposed to be happy and having fun all the time. It's about two people who care about each other. It doesn't matter what gender they are. And the responsibility factor, do we have kids? Do we not have kids? Well, who cares? What do we want to do? There's really not a whole lot in the culture that points to marriage as a social construct for good in society. And yet, first and foremost, what we see with marriage is we see Uh, the man leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. We see that as biblical. We see that as right and true. We see the, you know, the Genesis, the uh, creation story where Adam is created and then God says, wait, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create the perfect complement and created Eve from the rib of Adam, whereas Adam Adam was, of course, created from the dust. And people forget that Adam and Eve were created to be mutually beneficial to each other. There are a lot of people in the church who have taken that the wrong way, out of context. Man is the head of the household. That's what the Bible says. And so I'm in charge of you. No, that's not it. But then the modern culture says, well, women should be elevated over men because they've been under men for such a long time that uh, let's elevate women now and the role of men and masculinity and fatherhood and husbandhood should be diminished. Well, that that's not the case either. It's a both and, not an either or. The two becoming one flesh is massively important to understand and then ultimately then when we think about what it means for a man to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife we think about the ultimate sacrifice that was paid by the ultimate man the fully man fully god jesus christ the son of god who left his father for a season to come to earth to basically make it possible for him to come and return to claim his bride at some point. So we as members of the body of Christ are the bride. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the Son of God, our Savior, and our Lord is the bridegroom. And anything other than that, that calls itself or tries to call itself marriage, isn't going to work out. When you see the different types of uh, marriages that Gary Lovejoy writes about in his book, Marriages in the Bible, what do they tell us? You can see that a heartless marriage like David and Michael, uh, there's lessons to be learned there, especially when you see what happens to a woman, in this case, Michael, who was scorned because David had basically rejected her love, or Nabal and Abigail. Speaking of David yet again, I mean, when, when David's men went ahead to Nabal and he was rude and disrespectful, Abigail makes those cakes, you know, <laughs> gets those cake of dates together and meets David before, because David was coming to kill Nabal. It's just, oh, I'm my husband's an idiot here, take my sacrifice. And Nabal winds up offing himself. And then Abigail becomes David's wife. Or how about the problem-centered marriages? I mean, Homer, or Homer, Hosea and Gomer are classic case of, here's a guy, Hosea, who's called by God and says, look, I want you to take Gomer as your wife. Yes, I know she's a prostitute. I want you to take her as your wife. And your marriage is going to symbolize my relationship with Israel. Now, not that anybody wants to hear that, but can you imagine telling a young couple, find a guy 25, 30 years of age, hasn't been married yet, and say, okay, I'll tell you what, see that woman over there? She works as a prostitute. Your marriage is going to be symbolic. I want you to court her, marry her, and then when she's unfaithful to you and goes back to her old trade, I want you to go literally and redeem her. In other words, whatever price you need to pay to get her back, do it. And we're going to name your children uh, my anxiety and... This is the bane of my existence. I mean, but at the same time, though, when infidelity does hit a marriage, you can look at Hosea and Gomer and ask the question, okay, Jesus said infidelity is grounds for divorce, but it doesn't mean it's automatically. You know, that's, that's, I, I think that's important to see. So whether it's a tender marriage or a maturing marriage, uh, what D- Dr. Lovejoy said about David and Bathsheba, I think is huge. Uh, and then, of course, the righteousness in marriage that we see in Mary and Joseph and other couples. Uh, the, the book Marriages in the Bible, very, very important. And uh, I encourage you to check it out. We've got that link up at thebottomlineshow.com. And uh, the opportunity is uh, there for you as a believer 
to take a look at that and, uh, and learn from it in marriages in the Bible. Uh, as we continue, speaking of marriages, I met my wife, Lisa, when I was recovering from open heart surgery. Now, some might look at that and say, boy, that's kind of quick, wasn't it? I mean, you were kind of in a vulnerable state. Your emotions might have been all up and down. And, and it's true. They tell you, if, if you've ever had open heart surgery, uh, it's very, very true that that first year in particular, there is that kind of, there's a phenomenon that happens where your heart is kind of vulnerable and you find yourself either weeping at things that you don't really fully cry at or need to, or laughing. As a matter of fact, a pastor friend of mine, Freddie Cortez, um, who pastors a church that used to occupy space at the same church I was at, Freddie had a uh, he had an aortic dissection where his aorta just basically ripped open, and he had a stroke, and and his chance of survival was way worse than mine. And he's still pa he's pastoring a church in Washington D.C. right now. Freddie had the exact opposite experience. Either people go for um, uh, the, the, they either wind up in the tearful mode or they wind up in the I laugh at everything inappropriately mode. And we were the opposite. Freddie was the laugher. I was the, the tear jerker guy. But nonetheless, one of the things that w it's always been a part of my relationship with Lisa, that I had a defective aortic valve. I had to have it surgically repaired. And, uh, and that's a part of our love story is the fact that she uh, literally cares for my heart emotionally, but also physically. Uh, today is Heart Valve Awareness Day. Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day. And I'm going to take a break and uh, as we conclude the this hour of the Bottom Line Show, I want to talk about what valve disease actually is, how many people are impacted by it, and why it's important, especially for us as Christians, to pay closer attention to that. Let's do that coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. Personal injury attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law will fight for justice on your behalf. She has to fight because no insurance company will willingly pay what you've lost after an accident. When you're in an accident, you take legal action simply to be restored to where you were prior to your injuries. Money may be needed for medical treatment, financial restitution for lost time at work, or any other thing that you've lost as a direct result of the injury. Stephanie's desire is for justice, to find what was taken from you due to your injury and have it restored for you. Stephanie will become your advocate, passionately helping you make sure that your doctor's appointments are productive, the insurance companies are being honest, and she'll make those calls that you don't have time for. Go with K. Bright's trusted personal injury attorney who will help make you whole again. Stephanie Cover at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R and get back to your life. Welcome back to this NCR Thursday edition of The Bottom Line. We're just trying on that name. I'm Roger Marsh, National Crawford Roundtable coming up just around the corner. And uh, this week's conversation is going to be a good one. Um, today is Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day. I was not aware that this was, in fact, a thing, the American Heart Association uh, behind this uh, effort. And basically, the whole idea is to get people aware of heart valve disease. Now, you may not know it, but 11 million Americans have heart valve disease right now and have either done something about it, like me, or um, didn't know they needed to do something about it also like me. Now, for those who may not be aware, or it, it happened six years ago, and I know we have a lot of new listeners, so I'll get you up to speed. In January of 2017, I was hospitalized for about a week with what turned out to be sepsis. And I was told by my doctor, it could be a urinary tract infection, could have been anything. They did some chest x-rays, but they didn't do a full heart exam. About six months later, after a ton of antibiotics, I had another episode at church where I thought I was having a heart attack. And I wound up just getting a burger and sleeping it off the next day and I think I was okay. But a few months after that, I was going for a life insurance uh, policy exam. Actually, it was a CD alternative with Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial and a licensed vocational nurse came in, did an EKG and I failed it. And she said, we can't write the insurance policy on you because you have this defective heart. And so Tess over at Dennis's office sent me an email and said, look, friend to friend, you don't have to do this, but I really recommend you get your x-rays from the hospital, go to your doctor and see what happens. And so my uh, x-rays were sent over to my doctor, the late great Dr. John Chang. Uh, we, we've talked about him ad nauseum here on this program, but uh, I'll eulogize him again, very heroic man of Christian faith, who paid the ultimate price defending his mother and 50 other people at their church when a gunman came in one day and opened fire. Dr. Chang looked at my x-rays and ordered some new ones. CT scan revealed that I had not only an ascending aortic aneurysm, which if it burst would cause that aortic dissection, bleeding out inside 
your body. But that my my aortic valve was what they call bicuspid. Most aortic valves, are they look like a peace sign or a Mercedes-Benz logo, and the blood that's been oxygenated flows back into the body through that. Mine looked like a piggy bank, just a slot right across. My dad had the same condition. It only affects 2% of the population. And uh, it was in stenosis, which means it was deteriorating. And uh, I tell friends, I saw the picture of the before shot, before they took it out, and then afterwards they put the new one in. And I said, the only way I can describe that picture is my aortic valve looked like an angry starfish. It was kind of falling apart, like, ah, get off my lawn. You know, get out of my beach, you know, my wave, my, whatever. So they, uh, surgery was ordered, and on March 12, 2018, they uh, cracked a nine-inch uh, opening in my chest and split my rib cage and put me on ice for about 20 minutes and re- took out the old valve and put in a new artificial one and then cut out the aneurysm and replaced it with a piece of Dacron about nine centimeters long. And that's the way I've lived coming up on six years now. If you haven't had an echocardiogram or an EKG done recently, please do so, especially if you're in your 40s or 50s. If there's a history of heart disease in your family, please do so as well. Um, We'll put this link up for valvediseaseday.org up at thebottomlineshow.com that gives you all sorts of resources and all sorts of tools. Uh, to take a look at this. As Christians, it's important for us to steward our health well. And I know Lisa and I are on a journey right now to kind of get back to our pre-pandemic selves. Uh, We were a lot more active. But it's important to have a partner, to have a team, to have people who will hold you accountable. And I think it's one of the most difficult conversations for Christian families to have, you know, whether it's the family that you grew up in or the family of uh, that you're procreating or at the church too. Let's face it. We've got a lot of folks who are living unhealthy lifestyles. We see them at church every Sunday and we just go, ah, you know, that's, a, they're fine. Or other than that, nice, you know, I, a pastor friend from years ago, his whole family were morbidly obese and they all wound up dying, but I would say premature deaths. And I was, it was just such a shame because people said, well, they're so nice and they're so friendly. Yeah. But you know, maybe God had 10, 15 more years for them here on earth and they wound up getting cut short. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And like Stephanie Cover always says, if you get involved in an accident, you really have an obligation to God to get medical attention because this is the body that God created for you and your soul. And you steward that body by taking care of it, eating right, exercising, and going to the doctor when you need to. And I know that every time I have my annual checkup and I get a clean bill of health, I'm thrilled because I hear the same thing from, I've been to three different cardiologists now, they all say the same thing. They look at the x-ray and they say, wow, you had you know, the, the, the double surgery, the, the, the AAA and the uh, valve replacement. That's kind of a rare surgical procedure. And they look and they marvel and they look at me and say, you know what, your heart looks exactly like it's supposed to. You know, a lot of times we'll do the valve replacement and there's a little bit of leakage or there's, a, there's some kind of other blockage that will keep us from, you know, saying this was a successful surgery. I said, whoever your surgeon was, the retired Dr. Aiden Rady at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach, they said the surgeon did a great job, but they say it's so weird when you see what the diagram looks like of the replacement and then you see someone's heart that actually looks like that. And I have had nothing but, I mean, they say it looks perfect. And I am so blessed that the, this team did this for me. I'm so blessed that I listened to the counsel of medical professionals, but I'm also blessed by God that he spoke to me when I wasn't thinking that way and said, get your heart checked because I'm gonna do a great work in you. And I'm grateful to still be here having these conversations with you uh, because I paid attention to my heart health. Please do the same. Today is valve Heart Valve Disease Awareness Day. And the link for all those resources is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's also NCR Thursday, and you know what that means. Coming up next, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. It's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues.